Welcome to Great Photography. This is Daniel Sig. In today's episode, I am joined again by Hashem McAdam, an Australian photographer and filmmaker. We will discuss who are we creating for. I think that will lead us to talking about authenticity. And we will also review a book by photographer Ernst Haas. I wanted to thank Zencaster for sponsoring my podcast. Zencaster is a browser-based podcast production application that records each person locally and then uploads the top quality audio files right into the application. I have been using Zencaster to record all my podcasts from day zero of Create Photography and love its ease of use for myself and also for my guests. Both episodes with today's guest, Hashem McAdam, were actually recorded with this platform. If you're interested to start your own podcast, go to sendcaster.com and check it out. Please use Create Photography in one word as a discount code on sendcaster.com for a 30% discount of their pro plan. Hashim, welcome back to Create Photography. I look very much uh, forward to speaking to you today. Thanks, Daniel. It's good to be back. Good to talk to you again. Yeah, yeah. It's been it's been a little while. So you were one of the first first ones, episode three. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So wonderful. All right. So so we discussed for today's episode. We're focusing initially on the general question on who are we creating for, uh, you know, our photography. Is it for ourselves? Is it for others? Is it for, you know, maybe a combination of, of, of both? And we also kind of discussed towards the end, we want to maybe jointly review uh, a book <laughs> together. We haven't really, you know, um, practiced on that, but I think it'll be just a spontaneous discussion. So I look forward to that as well. But so, so, so maybe let's start with that general question on who are we creating our work for and Maybe let me ask you, what, who do you create your work for? <laughs> yeah, it's such a difficult thing, isn't it? Even to ask ourselves and to, to wonder about others, because I think a lot of people primarily create for one uh, person or audience and then also have a secondary audience as well, whether it's mm -hmm. creating for yourself, for the enjoyment, or because you're just trying to express yourself, which I think is you know, very primary to any art form. But then also it is, in fact, a storytelling method. When you look at photography, it's about telling the story about expressing something that you have observed about the, the world surrounding you. So in, mm -hmm. in a way, you're always photographing for others as well. I think even if you are focused on, on doing it for yourself. Mm -hmm. So I don't think there's an easy answer, but I think there's definitely a spectrum that you can lean towards and mm -hmm. uh and i think it's very relevant today in today's world of social media and how we often get stuck in a trap of maybe only trying to create to please others or to to gain things like instagram likes and whatever which i think will be cool to, to talk about some point in yep. the podcast if you're interested yeah yeah absolutely and no i'd love to talk about it and and i think we should talk about that as well in much more deeper probably but then also for today and, and that was actually one of my questions 
um, so a nice leading <laughs> into the social <laughs> media question, you know, so, so what are some of the trends you've been seeing on, on social media, you know, whether it's Instagram or, you know, YouTube or other, other social media with, with regards to that topic of creating, you know, for others versus ourselves, or, you know, there's probably another way to ask that, that question, but I'm, I'm curious what you've been kind of seeing. Yeah. Well, one subject that I see come up and that kind of uh, resonated with me a little bit was when photographers specifically, uh, I don't know if this could apply to other art pursuits as well, but when photographers make photos for other photographers, if that makes any sense. So it's almost mm -hmm. like you're trying to create photos that will impress other people that you're perhaps competing with and mm -hmm. almost forgetting <laughs> that there is a wider audience beyond that that may really only have a surface level interest in photography and doesn't care too much about the technical things or what's currently trending or the, uh, you know, technical aspects of what makes a photo perfect, whether it's in pixel sharp focus or whatever. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I think that's a really interesting thing because I know that mm -hmm. for myself, maybe I've kind of, uh, found myself falling into that trap mm -hmm. of, uh, wondering, is this really just to please what other photographers think is good or is it something that I could show to to my mom or my friend or someone mm -hmm. who really knows nothing about the te technical side of photography and have them appreciate it because of some other aspect mm -hmm. and uh yeah I don't know if you've experienced any of that but yeah no yeah, I think it's no common. it's a great point I I definitely experienced that as well I mean I tended to even now I I really do not spend any time anymore on Instagram or very, very rarely just check it out. But I, when I spend more time, I, I definitely have a lot of people who are photographers following me and, you know, vice versa. And I mean, some of it is great too, right? You make, you know, you, you make relationships, you meet people, you make friends and so yes. forth. And I mean, that part, you know, absolutely. And I think that that part is awesome. But with regards to the creative process, I, I tend to, I totally agree with you. I think that has been a little bit of a challenge. And, you know, you really, as you said, too, it resonated with me. You know, we're, we're, sometimes we're doing it for other photographers, but really, we, I mean, I would say we should start with ourselves and kind of see is, is it maybe the, the other way to think about this. And, you know, as I was preparing for, for today's episode, um, I really thought about authenticity a lot and, you know, is it, is that related to authenticity? In other words, um, you know, when we're creating for others, is, is there a risk that we lose authenticity? Um, I think so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it becomes a bit of a regurgitation, if that makes any sense, where, mm -hmm. uh, sure, like there's nothing that's original, so to speak, but then how much of it is just purely regurgitating what is already out there for the sake of pleasing that, that zeitgeist within the, the mm -hmm. community. And, um, like I know I've, uh, again, I've done it, uh, maybe noticing that there's a certain type of photo that trends and sometimes it's subconscious. You don't even realize, or it's the way you pose a model, the way you mm -hmm. use a certain focal length or whatever right. technical aspect. Right. And, yeah, uh, I agree. Like create for yourself primarily or at least express some inner personal uh, message or aspect of your own way of seeing the world 
Mm-hmm. And then if it happens to be similar to another artist that inspired you, that's fine. As long as the right. primary motivation is to tell your own story of, of the way you see the, the world in whatever unique way that is. Right. And yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good point. And, and you know, you raise another good point, right? More on the, on the positive side is the inspiration. So, I mean, inspiration, I think, is a great thing. Yeah. And it, you know, the risk is, of course, that you, we might copy somebody in a sense. But, you know, I think just using inspiration from from somebody else, I think, is, is totally fine. But then I think where it gets... I'm curious what your thoughts are, but I think where it gets problematic is if we're if we're really losing. I guess where we're losing authenticity, and then we are really posting for you know getting these more likes, getting more follows, and kind of chasing <laughs> chasing yeah. that that particular uh, thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, you know I'm sure there's a lot of famous photographers out there and and people who inspire many others, and then. I don't know, like a good way to to give an example is sometimes maybe on a platform like YouTube or Instagram, there could be a certain trend of a certain style of photo or a way of color grading. And in the mm-hmm. past, there might have been some kind of like trend within that. Or for myself, being in the world of film photography heavily, there could be a certain film stock a lot of people like to use for the same types of subjects. And it becomes a little bit repetitive because they're trying to compete with each other in a way, mm-hmm. but then they lose sight of where are these photographs uh, aiming to go? They feel a little bit more temporary. They don't have as much of a final aim because maybe um, some people don't work towards any larger body of work. And I think that's one good way to bring yourself back to your own uh, foundation and base and mm-hmm. uh, and make sure you're you're creating for the right reasons. Even if you are, whether or not you're pleasing other photographers, that's fine to do, I think, as well but don't lose sight of having some kind of internal message and end goal maybe with, with your photography. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that, those are great points. And, you know, another, another question, you know, for, you know, and we're asking this question, right, who are we creating for? And if we're thinking about somebody who's doing, let's assume she is doing this professionally, um, you know, in a way, right, obviously that person then is doing it for others, for the client, for the paid assignment, yet you're still somehow, you know, of course you're doing it for self with regards to, you know, the, the ultimate, you know, you, it's it's a profession, you get paid for it or, or you're semi-professional, whatever. But, you know, that's where I think it gets also really interesting, you know, how is it there to be still can you still be authentic doing that type of work (laughs) yeah you know um yeah i think i think so i think it's about balancing it's a balancing act of uh going back and forth and for a lot of professional photographers the personal work is sometimes funded by the paid work Mm -hmm. and vice versa and uh, Mm -hmm. you still get to express a little bit of your personality when doing the paid work for myself it might be Weddings, for example, I have a certain style that could be influenced by the way I shoot documentary and street photography. could be my Mm -hmm. way of composing, the way I react to situations, the way the focal Mm -hmm. lengths I use. So it does come through. And uh, your example of the professional photographer, I think, is an interesting one because 
I want to clarify what I was talking about before of having an, an end goal. I don't think it has to be that you have a very uh, large end goal in terms of being a professional. That could be as simple as mm -hmm. just documenting your life or, or your family yep. <laughs> or, or whatever it is. Right. So even if right. that's the aim is you just enjoy right. photography for the sake of capturing moments in your life or what you see or your garden, whatever it could be, that, that's mm -hmm. a goal in itself. That's fine. And you never have to be a professional, but then you are really shooting for, for yourself uh, primarily. Mm -hmm. But as a professional, I think, uh, and this will be great when we get to someone like Ernst Haas later on, mm -hmm. it is about that balancing act. Because I think you need both sides. It's the the yin and yang kind of thing where the personal work can be fueled and complemented by taking on assignments maybe and then vice versa. Right, right. Yeah, th those are great points. And, you know, as I was, you know, thinking about this again for today and, and you know, maybe over, over the last few years as well, I think it's, you know, the ultimate might be, right, for somebody who is doing this, either semi-professional or professionally that hopefully you do get picked for your unique voice your unique you know however you express yourself in, in with with your photography um you know which obviously relates to um the the personal work as well very much right yeah yeah okay so so i guess just going back to the social media trap <laughs> which often could be instagram right for the photographers um so so i think i i would assume it would resonate for many for, for many of us for many of the listeners to you know to kind of chase those likes chase those follows and so forth and really think about you know when you even when you're photographing you're thinking about oh i'm gonna post that on instagram tonight or tomorrow or something like that or so what what are some of your thoughts around getting out of this kind of mindset <laughs> what how can we yeah. get you know free ourselves from that a little bit because i do think it's not mm. i mean as, as as great as instagram can be for many different reasons right, as we discussed i think that that, that part I, I still feel like can be dangerous or at least counterproductive yeah absolutely it's a good question daniel and i think um I obviously don't have the answers in any complete way, but for me, the way I see it is I agree with you in that social media, including Instagram, is is really a good thing in a lot of ways and it has a lot to offer. It really has helped photography flourish over the last decade and it can be a great place for you to just put your work out there, even if it's just for yourself to look at and to engage with other like-minded people to get uh, commentary maybe, which I don't know if you get as much these days. Uh, but there is a dangerous side, which is just getting stuck in the intentionality aspect of it. Like you said, you're taking a photo with Instagram in mind, like knowing that who I can't wait to post this. It's going to be a you know, popular shot. People are going to like it because the similar photo that I posted last time got a lot of likes mm -hmm. or maybe <laughs> this other guy he posted this photo and my one's even better. And like, you know, you don't probably think these things in an overt fashion, but it could be a subversive, like um, yep. subconscious thing in the back of your mind. Yep. And, uh, you know, one good way I think to avoid that is to, to be working towards something for yourself, mm -hmm. even if you are going to post to Instagram. And this is what I do is my approach. Uh, I might, I post a lot, you know, maybe a few photos a week at least, mm -hmm. but they aren't, 
uh, all of my photos. Because I shoot a lot, uh, I just post just to keep engaged, to kind of put some of the work out there, to get a feel for it, to look at it, to engage with other people and get maybe an idea of what is working and what isn't Mm -hmm. in terms of other people's opinions. But then again, that isn't the most important thing. And uh, what I do is also work towards some kind of series if I can. In uh, one mm-hmm. example, I had uh, like a little zine that I was working on that I released last year. And I really didn't post many of those photos on social media at all. I think maybe one or two of them when I was still kind of discovering it. And uh, what I did is I finished that project and printed it. And then I mm-hmm. put it out to have its own life as a printed body of work, which I think is really good. And then that's what I'm doing currently. There's a bunch of photos that I save aside for this other series I'm working on. And then maybe the outtakes and other shots that I just happen to take uh, will end up on Instagram. And I think that's a good way for anyone out mm-hmm. there to to make sure you're not getting stuck in that trap because then you have this right. separate world for Instagram. Right, right. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. And, you know, speaking of something that you mentioned kind of leads a little bit into my next question and that's the whole issue around comparisons so you know we're when we're posting we are on instagram you know we're looking at others and you know again we're unfortunately we're looking at the number of followers and all that stuff we're looking at what they're posting so so naturally right we like to compare ourselves to others um and what what are your thoughts about that? I mean, you know, again, you know, for inspiration, as we discussed, I think that can be a good thing. Do you think there's, there, are there any pitfalls with that? I mean, is that something that could demotivate us to, or just kind of, should we even compare ourselves to others? <laughs> yeah, uh, this is really topical in today's society. And, you know, I think that we shouldn't, but it can't be helped. And I'd Mm -hmm. like to say that it's as easy as just don't do it, but it's not. It's just the nature of the world we live in. And I think um, it's more ways than just Instagram, I'm sure, and photography within that. People have a tendency now to just be completely exposed to, to everyone and everything all the time, instant access to information and to the lives of others makes it really hard. And I can understand and sympathize with people who kind of struggle with that. Uh, for myself, I guess I'm lucky in that I've never gone too far, but I have experienced it. And an example mm-hmm. of that, I guess, would be, uh, you know, you're, you said as a pitfall would be looking at how many likes someone else got on a photo, or maybe you, you put something out there and uh, you've only gotten a lot less than you thought you would. Mm-hmm. And then it makes you think, oh, is this not good enough? Even if, um, again, it's a subconscious thought that can build up for a lot of right. people or are even here maybe uh, some friends talk to me about it they're like you know i I just i want to give up on instagram i'm not you know loving i'm not getting engagement i made a separate profile that i don't follow anyone on just to kind of post for myself and then Mm -hmm. i'm wondering well why don't you do that anyway with your one use it as like a (laughs) pin board that's really what i think it's good for like you know how Mm -hmm. traditionally you would put prints up on a a metal board or like pin them up on a cork board so you can look at them reflect back on how much you've grown um and then the the likes should be a bonus And that's how I started to treat it. I do notice sometimes I'll put up a photo that I thought, this is great. I loved, you know, this moment. (laughs) And that hardly gets any engagement. 
but right. it, it doesn't affect me. I'm just like, well, right. that's fine. This will work as part of a series maybe, or yeah. it still connects with me in some personal way. Right. And then some other photo I'm expecting to be, you know, rather unpopular will get all this commentary like, oh, that's so cool. And I'm wondering why. Is yeah. it because it was like a cool, you know, let's say it was a night shot with fluorescent lights or, or it was shot on some popular film of a very <laughs> cool subject, maybe. Right. So, yeah. At the end yeah. of the day, you shouldn't let it affect you too much, right. uh, but it's difficult. It is really difficult, I think, for someone yeah. whose mentality uh, is predisposed to, to that sense of insecurity about their work, which is really common. It's really normal mm -hmm. for any artist, but it's just to a question of how much is that affecting you? Yeah, yeah. And it, it might be just human nature, right, that we, even if we're, you know, highly proficient in, in a certain maybe we're you know whether it's in an area of photography or something else but i think this self-doubt might be something that just keeps coming up and creeping up every so often anyway and and i think maybe instagram is is one of those platforms where it's just <laughs> it can yeah. just amplify things a little bit <laughs> yeah i think so i think so because one if you way or the other <laughs> <laughs> because photographers from decades ago didn't experience that you know like yep. they would have to buy a book and read about something in a newspaper yep. about what another photographer is doing and that was probably work from from a year ago <laughs> so i can't yep. imagine someone yep. like alex webb discovering that Oh, hold on, there's this photographer on the other side of the world doing the same work as me. Maybe I should change things up and, and yep. he could play with his mind. But he, he didn't. He just did his thing. Right. And then there might have been a bunch of other photographers who shared some similarity, but then they weren't as aware of each other. Even if they were contemporaries, things weren't the exposure to what other people mm -hmm. are doing, how they look, what they're using, all this sort of stuff. It was uh, not primary in their mind, in their world, like in terms of exposure, but yeah, yeah, I don't know, Daniel. What what would you say is a good <laughs> solution to that, if anything? Because uh, you'd mentioned that uh, you you hardly use Instagram anymore, and I think I yeah, might and that. and I and I also want to make clear, I'm not advocating that. That's what you know. I always say that there shouldn't be rules, and there's certainly not a rule or any any anything like that about that particular aspect either i think i just can say from my personal experience i like a little bit like yours right it i think that I, I did actually um when i was thinking about this more and it also had to do with you know obviously working on the podcast and talking to a lot of photographers about this topic that kept coming up um quite a bit and thinking about it a lot and i started to monitor my time on it too and and i was actually shocked uh, mm -hmm. with, you know, even though I didn't even think I would spend that much time and then actually saw that it was significantly more. So, and then I just got also too busy. I mean, part of it was also, I was just, I didn't, I was just too busy uh, for my personal work. So, or for my actual work, not the photography work. So for yeah. my day job. Um, and so, yeah, I, th that said, I think if, if you are, if you do feel like that you're really, maybe photo that's just a thought but if you feel like you're doing it just for you know the likes and the follows and really not for as you said something that maybe has a little bit of a threat or a purpose maybe beyond that beyond this instagram account which you know we all have we have to be aware of that 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 can go away i mean we, we don't even own it yeah so you know um that's kind of where i 
I felt like it would be good for me personally to focus on things that is my own, like the own website or a podcast or as you said, a zine. I love those types of things because that's just the stuff you you fully yeah. control and you you know you can do with it whatever you you like to do and and I think that to me at least for for my for my personal experience I think gets me gets me more in the right direction <laughs> mm -hmm. but that said you know I I I don't want to say like you know I would never say like you know oh social media is bad or you shouldn't be doing that or you know because there's all these benefits too and that you know it's just As you said, I like what you said a lot. It's like the balance aspect. I think it's just, yeah, yeah. I think it's just very important as well. Well, that, that's a good point we, again that you ended on about the, the benefits of social media because it made me realize that I think that's what a lot of photographers in today's world enjoy the most, even if they don't realize it. They actually thrive on the social aspect of photography. Maybe their grounding in photography wasn't like yours and mine, where it was purely just almost a mechanical thing. Like for me growing up, um, you know, I was born in the eighties, but grew up in the nineties. So there wasn't digital yet. And cameras were just a tool and I didn't really have any artistic knowledge of photography. It was just something where you take the camera, you make photos, you wait a few days and you, <laughs> um, you get the prints back and then it became artistic for me later. Whereas in today's world, people are born into it through things like Instagram and what they really enjoy is the, the, the social aspect. They enjoy mm -hmm. the feedback and the likes. Yep. And even yeah. if, let's say, Instagram has gone downhill in that aspect, maybe Twitter is now popular for photography. And people like yeah. to go on there, put their photos, mm -hmm. comment, give each other praise and criticism. Yeah. Uh, but in reality, maybe photography for them isn't uh, something that goes much more beyond that. They never really had an interest in creating a book or a zine or anything else, but they Right. see it as a, a social thing it's like you know you might join a social club about whatever it is playing a board game or something and yeah and really it's all about that um socializing kind of like playing an yep. online video game yeah i don't know if th this sounds weird but it makes yeah. me wonder yeah, no, but if that yep. is an mm -hmm. aspect of photography these days yep yep yeah and, and again i think if 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 there are genuine and perhaps authentic relationships that are coming out of you know those engagements i think that i think that's wonderful right yeah and i mean it yeah, could yeah, be yeah. you you know you meet like like we met kind of via that realm right in youtube and and eventually you know well got, got to know each yeah. other and, and talked to each true. other and so and you <laughs> know i mean that's you know that so that part i think is wonderful and so absolutely yeah and and that's um, a very traditional way i think to meet someone is through common interests and and in fact yeah. i met my partner sarah through photography hmm. uh that was what came first and then the relationship yep. came later and yeah. that's something that i'm sure you know even growing up as kids it could be as simple as like hey you like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So do I. Let's yep. be friends. And, yeah. <laughs> and exactly. who really cares about the cartoon? Yeah. It's just about um, the socializing. That's so, funny. you know, I guess you're right, is that yep. we can't really demonize um, any right. side of that spectrum of shooting for yourself right. or for others. But it is an interesting right. topic. Uh, yeah, for sure. Nevertheless. Yeah. It's very interesting. And and before we, you know, before we move over to Ernst Haas, <laughs> um, I, I want to quickly touch on what you mentioned with your zine, if we can talk a little bit more about that, because it, sure. it ties nicely with, you know, as you know, we had Daniel Milner on a couple, I had him on a couple of times, loved talking to him, loved listening to him on his YouTube. Uh, he's so knowledgeable. 
great yeah. perspective, I think, on, you know, including like something you said as well, what resonated with me, you know, there may be an image that in its, when we look at it in isolation, we feel like, well, you know, it, it's okay, right? It, it wouldn't be the Instagram hit, you know, whatever. Yeah. But if you, if you put that in a, in a great story and it's just part of telling that story, it's fantastic and it just belongs there. So, so I think th thinking that way, I, I love working, you know, I used to love working in series, still do. So I think that's another, it's just another way of thinking about it. And of course, you can do that on Instagram as well, clearly. Um, so, so, but um, anyway, curious to hear more about your zine and kind of you, how was your, you know, how was your process? How was, how, how did it all, how did you do it, I guess? And what, what was it about? <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I definitely agree with you what you're saying about Daniel Milner and the expanse of knowledge he has when it comes to, to printing and what he mentioned. I think I listened to that podcast and he says something about the single image, sometimes it's, uh, I don't know which word he used, but it's kind of like it was a filler, but it's mm -hmm. not really a filler. It's just to carry the rest of the the story. And on its own, it doesn't feel as strong. So definitely uh, agree with that. When it came to my zine, it was kind of born out of a sense of discovery of just pure experimentation. It was myself walking around in this local shopping strip, just really admiring the, the shop fronts, the facades, the worn out, uh, shop fronts that were decades old, kind of stuck in this era of maybe 70s and 80s. Hmm. Uh, you know, very sun-soaked uh, mm -hmm. part of the suburb I lived in because of the way it was running from east to west. The sun would always hit either one side of the, the shop, the street or the other. And it was just somewhere I used to take daily walks and spend a lot of time. And I thought, hey, let me bring a camera and just take photos of this great light hitting something as simple as like the worn out paint on the front of a shop mm -hmm. or something like that. <laughs> and then it just became something that I thought, uh, this could be a series in itself. I, I like mm -hmm. documenting this. I like trying to challenge myself because it was something a little bit different for me. It was, uh, if you've ever taken a look at it, it's, um, it's called the sun dried strip. So I guess anyone listening can, um, find it on my website. There's some example photos there, cool. but it's quite abstracted something that I wanted to challenge myself with because I didn't do much of it. And we talked about Instagram earlier. It's quite different to any of the photos I post on Instagram for at least the majority of it. Mm -hmm. And even though it's street photography, there's hardly any presence of people in it. So it was more mm -hmm. about focusing on light and form and texture and color. And uh, yeah, it was really fun. It was something I would definitely recommend. And it was just a matter of continuing to shoot uh, casually in this area over the period of actually maybe two or three years. Hmm. And it was really something that I just had always on the back burner and then finally started to print and edit the, the work, which was slowed down a little bit by the pandemic, but yep. eventually it came to life and, and I felt really good about it, you know, whether or not I sold mm -hmm. <laughs> many copies <laughs> and I'm really grateful that I actually have sold what to me is a considerable amount of copies. That's great. Uh, but I feel really fulfilled from that and got really excited to work on the next thing. Mm -hmm. So I think that's another good reason to anyone listening. If you've never done it, you don't need to hear it again, but, you know, print your work, put it together into some yep. kind of booklet, even just a simple, yep. cheap, even if it's just one copy, just do it. Did you, uh, just technical question, did you just 
a couple of things. First of all, I know you love film, so I'm curious, was it film? And, and number two, did you use any of the, you know, Blurb or other similar platforms, or how did you go about the the printing process? Uh, yes, it it was shot on film. This particular okay. zine, it was all done on the same film stock, which I okay. enjoyed for the sense of consistency and anyone curious it was kodak color plus 200 and it was all okay. done on the same camera because i shot this very casually i just had this one camera always sitting on the shelf that i would grab anytime i went to walk through this area mm-hmm. and um i would shoot it all on that as for printing i did a test copy initially on blurb mm-hmm. and uh the quality was actually quite great but because i live down here in australia i found that the shipping cost was a little bit it would have been too expensive to, oh, yeah. to print in mm-hmm. bulk so yep. I found another company called Mixum, which okay. was initially based in the UK. They opened up uh, a subsidiary company here in Australia where they subcontract local printers, but with the same, you know, easy to use online interface and maybe they subsidized the price because it actually worked out quite well. So I printed it through Mixum locally. I think I did a run of 200-ish copies. And uh, yeah, I'm quite happy with uh, with the result from that considering oh, it was awesome. sort of a low-cost zine. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, no, no, it's great. And I, in fact, I, I just um, may be inspired by, again, talking to Daniel Milner. I just put together some... It wasn't like as, I guess, as planned out as maybe your your project. And But I, I just ordered a... I did some MacLeod projects just for myself. Yeah. Um, that, that I'm actually waiting for. I'm expecting them this week. Just, you know, little booklets of, of a couple of kind of projects, mm. architecture and some other things that some, some a little bit of street photography, just for fun to see how it looks and feels. And, you know, n- n- probably not going to do much more with it at the, at the moment. But, you know, even that, I think it's it's a fun thing to do. For sure, yeah. yeah. I've actually um, have the, the MacLeod website open on one of my browser tabs because <laughs> okay. i've been meaning to to actually try them out as well because I, I like okay. to try different printing options and yep. just to get an idea and yeah they do seem quite cheap and the shipping to australia yep. is reasonable okay so i might do a working copy of my current series um and, yep. and same as you it's really it might not end up being anything uh, but right. it is nice to see it in printed form yeah it's it, it's um yeah so it, unbelievably inexpensive actually at least in the u.s i mean you can get i think i try to remember what i paid but like a few dollars literally and then you know i did two projects like four dollars and one is another four and then but of course only one copy each and then the shipping but um yeah, not, you know, not a ton of pages, but I, I think even if you have more pages, if you do like some, some sort of a magazine or there's another format that I forget that might be even cheaper. But um, yeah, it's it's great. I, I've, I've done it once before with a really small format to just carry around and, you know, just in case I get stopped on the street. I can yes. show it to people. <laughs> yeah, that, that's um, what I need a copy yeah. <laughs> for because I had that last time and this time I'm getting deeper into the series and it is actually involving people sometimes a lot okay. of photos of people so it would be good to at least have it as a you know and this is also inspired by daniel milner as a okay. way of explaining <laughs> yourself because yeah i don't think many people are interested in seeing you pull out your phone and show them instagram as much right. as right. pulling out a book which gives it a greater yep. sense of legitimacy yep. it's easier to see it makes yep. it look like you're actually more serious about what you're doing 
Um, and I think it's a really good idea if you are someone who does shoot a lot of street or around people. Yep. How is it in just out of curiosity? Um, I, you know, when I talk to different street photographers, especially across the world, uh, literally, um, the, you know, the, the rules and regulations are, are definitely not consistent between the different countries and geographies. Um, what, how is it in Australia? How is it, is it very strict or do you need permission or how do you go about that in Australia? As far as street photography goes, it's legal for you to take photos in a public space. So if it's okay. other people in a public space, um, there's no right to privacy in that public space. Okay. So I think uh, it's just a matter of exercising a sense of kind of um, etiquette more than yep. anything yep. because you can yep. still obviously annoy someone or someone yeah. can take something <laughs> the wrong way. And yep. it's really important to know how to, to handle that and not get too aggressive and just say, well, no, I have every right to take your photo from <laughs> yep. two inches away from yep. your face or whatever it is you might have done. Yep. Um, but I've learned through experience that it's best not to get too defensive. And um, because Australia, uh, it it's pretty good with street photography. People aren't too likely to, to get too... Uh, let's say angry or whatever, but yep. some people yep. do, and it's just mm-hmm. because of the world we live in, and there's all this yep. like exposure to the internet, and they worry about what you're going to do with the photo. And oh, sure. And sometimes I get people thinking I'm from the council or from the police or something. <laughs> Especially in this day and age, I've had that. Yes. Like, mm-hmm. uh, it's a sense of surveillance. Yeah. Whereas they don't even consider the fact that someone would just be doing this for artistic purposes to them it's mm-hmm. bizarre like why <laughs> why are you taking my photos for, right. <laughs> for artistic reasons i'm just trying yeah. to enjoy myself yeah <laughs> so uh yeah and and i found in other countries for example in uh, let's say nepal or, mm-hmm. or bangladesh some of the countries i traveled to mo- most recently before the pandemic 2018 people are you know they, they're much more open to it, even more friendly. Mm-hmm. So like in Australia, it's pretty good. I think it's all right. And I've heard in countries like Germany or in other places, people are a little bit more strict and even the mm-hmm. law is more strict. So you have to exercise yep. more Correct. caution. So yep. I think it's a middle ground here. People are, if you're mm-hmm. friendly and you approach the situation right, it's it's not bad. I think mm. it's um, a good place to shoot street. <laughs> okay. Well, cool. Well, I think let's let's transition to Ernst Haas for a moment. Um, and I I have a let me say a few words and then but before I do, have you covered him in, in your YouTube on your YouTube channel? Um, I have not. I don't think okay. no, because okay. I, I do share books on the YouTube channel on a regular yep. basis. Yeah, I know. I that. might be yep. wrong, but I don't think I've shared okay. Ernst Haas, even though I have two of his books. Um, okay. I've mentioned him in passing, but that's yep. about it. Okay. I just want to make sure in case um, you do, we would obviously, we could we could have linked to the show notes, but we'll link to your channel anyway, because it's it's great. And, you know, people who are especially interested also in film photography, I think will we'll definitely enjoy, well, enjoy it. And, and, and you're, uh, yeah, and you're talking about street photography, street photography books. And, and so I think it's a great, I think it's a great place for people to visit. So, so we'll do that uh, regardless. So, okay, Ernst Haas. So, so for, for our listeners who want to learn more about, more about Ernst Haas, um, episode 16 actually of this uh, podcast was focused on him. Um, so it's a short episode where I just, you know, went over the basics with him. So it's 
danielsickphotography.com forward slash episode 016. And um, just a few words about Ernst, and then we'll, we'll dive into talking about the book a little bit that we picked. So, so Ernst was, I think, one of the most influential photographers of the 20th century. He was born in Vienna, Austria, in 1921. Um, he joined Magnum in 1949, and he moved to the U.S. to New York City in 1951. And that's actually when he started to experiment with Kodachrome color film, sort of the very famous and very slow, so low ISO film. Um, if if our listeners want to see a good sample of his work, so one, one option is to just go to Ernst-Haas, um, H-A-A-S dot com. And um, that's, you know, has, has really a lot of his work that gives gives you guys a good good idea. Um, so his work spans abstract photography, intimate nature photography, travel photography, motion and portraiture. And I would say, of course, also street photography and in that sense, although back then maybe that wasn't a shore anyway. But so that's just a quick, you know, a couple words about him. And so Hashim, I want to ask you, uh, <laughs> we both like him, but what, what do you like about, about his work? What do I like about Ernst Haas? <laughs> wow. Uh, he's got actually quite a variety of styles, you know, because he did, transition to color like you said to Kodachrome after the the you know the second world war roughly and that was I think in the 60s when he really started to get experimental with it and doing that that motion work that you mentioned so a lot of mm -hmm. uh, that uh, stuff that we'd be seeing in the New York and color book that we both have would be some of the stuff I like the most where he he shot those really abstracted images and for, for you, I know you really like Saul Leiter as well, where mm -hmm. he might be using a longer focal length, really layering a bunch of different uh, elements in a scene, different colors, different shapes, and creating a really abstracted composition out of something that would be seemingly ordinary. Um, and just the great eye for color mm -hmm. and, and that painterly quality that results from from combining all those techniques. But then he also had a lot of great shots of candid moments, uh, like more photojournalistic reportage stuff. I even admire his black and white work from the uh, Austrian, I think, prisoners of war returning from Russia that you wouldn't see in this book, but, you know, he's, he's done that ever since the 40s. But, yeah, I'm a great admirer of his work. I think he's just amazingly skilled and he, he definitely seems to have an artistic eye that a lot of the greats do. I don't know if maybe his parents were artists or he had a background in painting. Maybe yeah. you would know, but uh, yeah, I love his work. Yeah, I don't sure. remember that. That's a great question. I know he was originally supposed to go to med school and then because of his Jewish heritage, he was not, he was not able to. And so that's what in part got him down that path, which <laughs> maybe was mm. a good thing. But um, yeah, I don't know uh, about his, that's a good question about his parents, but yeah, that's a great um, that's a great description. Um, and so, so maybe for our listeners, I'm going to just quickly mention the book that we're, we want to, you know, briefly discuss to to kind of wrap up our discussion today. Um, so it's called Ernst Haas, uh, New York in Color, 1952 to 1962. Um, I I think it's a fantastic, <laughs> a, a fantastic book. Um, beautiful pictures he's as you said um 
he he experimented with with motion blur um very abstract you know street scenes that really painterly i mean you describe i think you you kind of summarized the book already we could probably wrap up now but you really <laughs> did a nice job of, of kind of summarizing his his work um where you know you feel like some of these pictures could just be in a modern art museum um yeah. which they probably are but whereas some of them are as you said you know really candid interesting street scenes like even the the picture on the <laughs> maybe we'll describe that jointly together the picture just on the front um which is kind of a i don't know if you want to take a crack at that <laughs> um uh, if you have it i think you have it on you know with oh uh, yeah 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 the yeah, cover yeah. photo the kids yeah the on color the photo with the guy yeah. on the on very the, famous um, yeah um, yeah that's that's quite a candid moment isn't it and it's something that yeah. you can imagine yeah. an, an equivalent of this scene today being just as as worthwhile to capture and i guess my description of it would be like a really young well-dressed teenager just sitting mm -hmm. on the front of uh, a beautiful car it's a plymouth something and he's reading a book and he's just mm -hmm. got this great little hat on and the framing and the background with the little neon sign which really adds a beautiful pop of color on yep. this uh otherwise kind of more of a monotone look to the image yep. a lot of white yep. and dark blue and black yeah so i think um something as simple as that <laughs> inclusion of that yeah. neon sign really adds to it's, it because there's a little bit of red inside the car as well yep. and uh yeah it's just a beautiful moment it makes you wonder what would the equivalent of this kid look like today yeah. <laughs> sitting on on, on one of today's that's, vehicles yeah, very different yeah that is a great i mean just because obviously the car isn't you know now it would be an antique right we would see yes. that antique roadshow um but you're right yeah you did a great job describing it i mean it's also interesting how the car is similar well in some ways similar you know like that the, it's a white car and so the, the the young gentleman has a white shirt and the hat is also white mm -hmm. with the black rim kind of a black rim i guess yeah and, yeah and so it's kind of like that that whole which i actually haven't thought about it earlier i just thought more about the scene but now that i'm looking at it it's just like everything works in this photograph it's just yeah. like yeah it's almost too fantastic. good to be true right like you yeah it's almost too yeah it's like i almost feel like maybe did he ask that guy to sit on the, yeah, on yeah. the car and and so it's I wonder, just a great scene um, and what's amazing is that this car was probably nothing too special back then yeah but i wonder if maybe the the way that this kid was dressed because he kind of reminds you of someone out of the blues brothers or something like yeah, that yeah totally and like <laughs> even everything as simple as the tie he's wearing and the buttons on the collar, there's a little pin on his tie, impeccably dressed, you know, with this, with these cool sunglasses that I think yep. in the fifties, when he was uh, photographed here, he probably did stand out and that's what uh, got Ernst Haas's attention. <laughs> yeah. At least I yeah, think, but that, that's the sure. beauty of photography. You make your own interpretation. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Let's look, let's look at one, one other one. It's on, page 94 um and it's 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 in the definitely the abstract um category it's actually called window reflections 1962 mm -hmm. so it's it's a maybe i'll trade i'll take a quick crack yes, at describing it. it so so it's very abstract it's it's basically um a high-rise that's apparently reflecting um the building's 
across, presumably. Um, he's kind of shooting up, but you know, not straight up, so we don't see any sky, but we see the you know the structure. If I see that correctly, we see the kind of the structure of the window, and we see obviously the reflections. Um, but you know, at first sight, you probably don't know exactly what you're looking at. As you're looking a little more, you kind of start, okay, so I think I get it. But it's still, I would say, very abstract, very textured, and just you know, again, I think just that si simple composition in some ways, but uh, you know, has some texture to it. It has. Um, you know, a nice color palette, which actually I love. Generally, he has that throughout. I think the book. That's as you said already. You summarized that nicely. He's got that color palette. Um, here, it's it's a little dark in here, but I see blues and you know maybe some tans. Really beautiful color palette too. Um, yeah. Just another. Yeah. What do you think about this one? <laughs> I think it's beautiful. I think it's uh, it's something that any ordinary passerby mostly wouldn't pay much attention to but someone who is a keen observer like a lot of photographers tend to be i can see why you like this because it's quite architectural in a sense yep. <laughs> um it's a great image and what i what i really admire is his ability to use what looks like would have been a, a telephoto lens to yep. really take this tiny cross section of what might have been a huge building and just cut that little slice out and create what looks like almost again, a painting and yep. what uh, draws my eye and is most interesting is the, the, the way the reflection renders, it's got that, what, what would you call it? Like a refraction where it looks wavy. Yeah, almost like, a, yeah, yeah. Really interesting. It's like you're looking through a water tank almost yes. in, in some <laughs> parts of it. Yeah. And that's what really, I think makes it something special is that there's a variety of different, refractions and reflections yep. and shapes within there that uh whether you squint and look carefully or you decide to kind of look from far far away this could stand yep. and, and look different to anyone yeah um, the, is there one that kind of as you're as you're browsing through this book is there one that you kind of one of your favorites or just something that really resonates with you or you kind I'm of... sure there is <laughs> in the few times I've looked through this book. I remember one of the taxi cab ones was one of my favorites, but there's this, you know, quite a few, it's hard to single one out. Yep. Yep. Um, but it was just the back of some bright taxi cabs. Like they were yellow and red. I'm trying to flip through the book at the moment. Oh, is, is it... It... Wonder, I wonder if it's the one on page... 143 i just found another Let's one that's yes that's the one okay yeah, yeah. and again that there's a reflection it. of a building yep. <laughs> and the way the, the book is sequenced for anyone listening is actually amazing because the photo he puts on the left side is another cross section of a building similar to the image we just talked about yep. and it looks yep. like that could be what's reflecting it in could this be, yes. cat taxi cab yeah and yeah. just again the composition the way he's yep. just sliced this perfect yep. rectangle it's just, out yeah. of a much wider scene, it's amazing. <laughs> right, and then you got kind of the taxi, which is very interesting. They're not just yellow caps, which we're, what we're used to, right, in New York City, mm -hmm. modern New York. They actually have some red on the on the hood. Yeah, and the um, chrome. They had a lot more cool. interesting detail. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, that's a that's an awesome, fantastic picture. Yeah. It, so yeah, yeah no. Um, yeah, what a great book. It just inspires me to <laughs> to go back through again. Um, so I'm very glad that 
I, I invested in it. You know, I know these books are sometimes not, not inexpensive. I, I think this one is somewhat reasonable on Amazon, if I remember I believe so. correctly. Yeah, but, and it's, um, it's nicely printed. I think it's definitely yep. a good one if some, someone's getting into photo books. Yep. And I think Ernst Haas doesn't deserve, uh, get enough credit for being one of the the true early pioneers of color photography yep. Uh, yep. as much as other, you know, no. like, not to take anything away from him because I also love right. the work of William Eggleston, but right. he shot a lot more in the 60s and 70s. Much whereas later, you have, really. Yeah, I mean, this was yeah. mm -hmm. 40s, 50s, and then you've got people like uh, Jacques-Henri Lartigue who are using color much yep. earlier, and even yep. William Allard, for example. There's a lot more earlier photographers who used color quite successfully, yep. uh, and Ernst Haas was, I think, amongst the best of them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, his... His work, I mean, even, and you alluded to it, like the, his, his motion blur work, obviously par, in part he did that because the, the film was, was so slow. I think, mm -hmm. you know, at 12, IS, as ASA of 25 or ISO 25, of 25. Yeah. So, so naturally he, he probably had, had to do it sometimes, or it, it just was blurry because he, he had to, to expose the image correctly, he had to use longer shutter speeds. But even when you, when you look again at his web, that one website, Ernst-Haas.com, um, you know, his, some of his landscape work, like intimate landscapes, it's just unbelievable. And also his portraiture, um, which yeah. is also not probably as well known, but um, yeah, really fantastic body of work. I don't, he, he died. Yeah. Well, I try to remember now when he died, but I think he wasn't, I think he was in his sixties, if I remember right. So he wasn't mm. that old, but um yeah yeah and he's i think he is a good example for anyone who ends up wanting to read more about him of someone who who really balanced that spectrum that i was talking about earlier yep. of, of shooting for himself and then also yep. shooting for assignments because he started yep. off shooting uh journalistic work and yep. photo essays and then yep. he reached a point where like many artists who who only do that get sick of it Another example being Sergio Lorraine, one of my favorite yep. photographers who yep. stopped, stopped doing uh, work for Magnum even hmm. to focus on his own stuff. But Ernst Haas successfully kind of balanced doing assignments and then doing personal experimental stuff. And then he even had successful campaigns like one of those famous Marlboro ads, I think, and mm -hmm. shooting for even calendars and things like that. Yep. And but But then he still had a very uh personal body of work like the stuff in this book yeah 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 thanks for bringing it back to <laughs> to our topic oh, no worries what I, <laughs> I, I, I i meant to I do that it. but you, thanks Sorry. for doing, <laughs> doing that for me um no that that's great because yeah exactly this is in part why we we wanted to focus on uh, on him as one example right where you, you it, it's almost in some ways we could argue it blurs with you know what he it could have been, some of this stuff obviously could be assignment work, clearly is very artistic throughout. Um, but um, it's, it also seems like he, you know, and I'm obviously not his biographer, so I don't have all the details, but I, just by looking at this work, I would agree that I, I think he must have done a lot of this you know, with, with this vision in mind and then for himself initially, I, I presume, right. And, and the kind of, mm -hmm. cause he saw something, right. He saw this reflection, he saw these patterns and, and, you know, so it's just, 
yeah, it's very inspiring, I think, to, to look at. I know a lot of people talk about this and, you know, get photo books. And, you know, obviously it doesn't mean we have to buy the photo books. We can also, right, we can look, look up work online. That's why I brought up, the, you know, the website or, you know, yeah. I think it's it, um, Pinterest sometimes. <laughs> or, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's nice to have the book, but it's not, it's not, of course, a requirement at all. Um, no, yeah. I mean, if it, it means not seeing the work otherwise, then definitely see it however you can. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And you mentioned, um, just, um, to, to almost wrap it up, um, um, Hashim, you mentioned, um, there is another smaller book, uh, by him as uh, well. Yeah. So this one is, it's just called Ernst Haas. It's a small okay. book by, uh, it's in a series called Photophile, which is okay. spelled photo and then F I L E file. So it's one word. And I'm sure if you were to look that up, anyone listening, uh, photo file, uh, Ernst Haas, you will find uh, this book. But there's also a series, I think, where they're almost like little biographies. And the book itself is only, I don't know, seven by four inches. And it's uh, it's got plenty of his color work, even some black and white. And the first uh, few pages is a bit of a mini biography on him. So I think it makes for a good little introduction if you want something more accessible. To, it's a lot mm. cheaper, I think, than the larger book. Okay. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Well, good. Um, well, I think um, with that, um, yeah, I want to want to just thank you uh, so much for, you know, for taking the time and, and for speaking with me um, on on this on this very interesting topic. I think it's, a, um, you know, going back to our original topic, obviously, the, you know, the the issues around are we shooting for ourselves, photograph for ourselves, for others, and you know what, you know what what does that potentially mean for us? <laughs> Which is a mm. it's a challenging topic as well. But I think it's 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 something very interesting to think about. And so yeah, thanks for the also inspiration on on this topic as well. So definitely, and uh, thank you, Daniel. It's my pleasure as always. All right. Well. I'm sure we'll be in touch and uh, so we'll, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Daniel. All right. This wraps up our episode with Hashim McAdam. I hope you enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun talking to him and hearing about his opinion about authenticity. And also we talked, of course, about Ernst Haas. So I hope you enjoyed it as well. And we'll have links in the show notes as always. And again, thanks to our sponsors from Zencaster.com for sponsoring this episode. And you can find information about them as well in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening and talk to you next time.